0: This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC.
1: And come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perks.
0: Women's WCHA.
1: So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies
0: the National Hockey League.
1: Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to
0: and Husky's warming house podcast fan this is episode number 55 here i'm noah grant joined alongside my co-host and nick max and nick we've got a fun one for fans today a lot to discuss regarding the st cloud state men's hockey team punching their second ever frozen four appearance in school history we're going to actually talk about the bracket challenge as well that we had related to the frozen four and talk a little bit about uh who might be doing well and who might not be doing so well as far as that's concerned. And also talking about someone at the end of the show who is not doing well at all, Nick, and that's Tim Peel of the NHL's formerly officiating crew. We got all that and more, but first we're going to start, as always, with Center Ice View News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com.
1: Huskies Illustrated Weekly wrote up Noah and the NCHC saw four teams make it to the NCAA regionals this week, three of which made it their championship matches within those regionals and two of which have now punched their tickets to the Frozen Four, including St. Cloud State, which is uh, only going to the Frozen Four, Noah, for the second time in school history, first time since 2013, uh, with wins over Boston University and Boston College. It was the Boston see you later party, unfortunately. Um, they, were, <laughs> they outscored their opponents by a score of 10 to three in Fargo, North Dakota, and Duluth. Uh, holy buckets, Noah, what a game that was, five overtimes. It was the longest game in NCAA tournament history History. And it was freshman Luke Milamock, who really did not play much in that hockey game, who tallied the winner 142 minutes and 13 seconds, a simple wrister that gets through Adam Shield. The fourth NCHC team was Omaha, Noah, and unfortunately their luck runs out this time at the hands of the University of Minnesota golfers a drubbing 7-2 to loss down in Loveland, Colorado. Three of the four teams in the Frozen Four are hailing from the state of hockey. However, Saint Cloud State will be without senior winger Eastern Brodzinski as they battle Mankato uh, April, on April 8th while Duluth takes on UMass. Uh, Brodzinski suffered a season-ending leg fracture uh, during a, a collision with a Boston College forward and did undergo surgery uh, later on on Sunday night uh, in Albany, New York. In other NCHC news,
0: our boy Ben Holden made the news, Nick on monday ben took home this year's nchc media excellence award as the voice of nchc hockey a veteran broadcaster the 50 year old michigan native does add the award to a collection that does include two emmy awards already and a lengthy career that spans at least four different sports four major networks and of course one very high profile st cloud state podcast Originally from Holt, Michigan, Ben's latest work included the NCAA Regional in Loveland, Colorado this past weekend, where he called Mankato's first two wins in tournament history. The Mavericks are the last remaining team left from the men's side of the WCHA as well, which is disbanding this year after over 70
1: years of play. In news on the officiating world of the National Hockey League, former, I should say now former, Uh, Referee Tim Peel might join uh, Ben Holden as an office official in the press box as the 53-year-old was fired by the National Hockey League last Wednesday um, after a incident with a hot microphone Uh, midway through the second period. Noah, uh, in a game between the Detroit Red Wings and Nashville Predators, Peel said that he wanted to, quote, wanted to give a penalty against nashville early in the third period the veteran official was set to retire at the end of the season after first starting in the nhl in 1999 Uh, vice president of hockey operations colin campbell said that there is no justification for peel's comments no matter the context or his intentions and the nhl will take any and all steps necessary to protect the integrity of the game
0: In further NHL news, Nick, the playoffs will be delayed by one day in the National Hockey League as the league did reschedule 19 games this past week. The trade deadline will also look a little different for Canadian teams and the Board of Governors have approved some proposed changes to that draft lottery. Starting in 2021, the number of lottery draws is now reduced from three teams to two. So the last place team can not draft lower than third overall. Starting in 2022, Clubs can only move up a maximum of 10 spots now, so only 11 teams can win that number one pick instead of 16 that do not qualify for the playoffs. And also what is new is that no team can win the draft lottery more than twice over a five-year period. Because the third change will not come into effect until 2022, previous lottery victories will not count towards a team's total. During this season, however, the approaching trade deadline did get a little easier in the Great White North, as the Canadian government has waived its mandatory 14-day quarantine period for players acquired by Canadian National Hockey League teams from U.S. clubs, quote, under national interest grounds ahead of the league's April 12th trade deadline. The new rule does let players that need to quarantine do so during a seven-day period instead of 14 days, with daily testing
1: during normal practices for the following week after that seven-day quarantine. The first team to benefit from these rule changes will be the Montreal Canadiens, who traded a fifth and a third-round pick to Buffalo for 36-year-old center Eric Stahl. Uh, Buffalo does retain 50% of his salary which is in the last year of his contract uh coming up a 42 goal season just two seasons ago with the minnesota wild the aging pivot has only 10 points in 32 games with the sabers who have lost 16 straight games at the time of this recording uh the new york rangers also traded for ben Brandon lemieux to los angeles for a fourth round pick ottawa has sent former fighting hawks christian will to los angeles and the Vancouver Canucks claimed centerman Travis Boyd off waivers from the Maple Leafs. Uh, Boyd had just 11 points in 20 games with Toronto. And L.A. also extended defenseman Matt Roy to a three-year $9.45 million extension. And Washington rear guard Trevor Van Riemsdyk now had a two-year $1.9 million deal as well.
0: In our second-to-last segment of the weekly roundup, former St. Louis Blues defenseman Bob Plager died in a car crash last Wednesday at 78 years old. Plager was alone in the vehicle when it collided with another car containing two women on the interstate at 1.30 p.m. local time. The Kirkland Lake Ontario native was an original Blue, having moved over from the New York Rangers when the NHL expanded in the 1967-68 season. He played 11 seasons for St. Louis, teaming for a stretch with brothers Barclay and Bill, and later worked for the organization in a variety of roles. He coached the team for 11 games as well in 1992, and St. Louis retired his number five jersey in 2017 after he finished his career with 1,000 penalty minutes in over 800 NHL games.
1: And lastly, Noah, some college players that were NHL draft picks have turned pro this week, and the injury train, thankfully, has also slowed down in the National Hockey League. Uh, likely, future Hobie Baker winner in Cole Caulfield uh, signed a three-year entry-level deal with Montreal this past week. It was very expected that he would do so. Uh, Wisconsin Badgers sophomore uh, put up um, some just uh, unbelievable numbers this season, uh, 30 goals, uh, which led the NCAA and Big Ten best 52 points as well as in 31 games played. The 20 year old was assigned after he signed to Montreal's minor league affiliate in Laval. Um, in the Big Ten, Notre Dame forward um, Alex Steves um, has moved on after his junior season as he signed with Toronto this week. And uh, Steve led the Fire and Irish with 32 points in 29 games, which is good for 10th among NCAA skaters. Uh, However, some injury news, Uh, although it's slowing down Florida Panthers defenseman Aaron Eckblad will be out the remainder of the season with a leg fracture goaltender Tuka Rask. Uh, Boston will miss a handful of games with an upper body injury and Toronto netminder Freddie Anderson is out for a week. Uh, Florida's x was tied for the NHL leading goals by defenseman uh, with 11. And finally, some good news and maybe some milestone news. Noah, uh, Penguins captain Sidney Crosby became the eighth fastest player to reach 1,300 career points. And Hockey Canada's Andre Chariigne signed a one-year contract for Team Canada as an assistant coach for four international events uh, during that time as well.
0: Once again, welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast for episode number fifty-five. Like I mentioned previously. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host and Nick Maxson. Nick, what a day it is to be a St. Cloud State Huskies hockey fan here. Men's hockey team punching their ticket to the Frozen Four for the second time in school history. We're going to break all that down, as well as our own personal brackets challenge that we had on the show as well. One thing to mention before we get started, uh, Nick, is we forgot actually to do the trivia question from last week, but we didn't have a trivia question from this week. So maybe I'll read that off, and then I really want to know, how your week is going this week Nick? But first of all, our trivia question did read, next week, which was last week, <laughs> St. Cloud State will likely be a number 2 seed in the NCAA regional tournament. When was the last time St. Cloud State men's hockey was a number 2 seed in an NCAA regional tournament and where was that regional at? Ooh. <laughs> Got me beat. No idea. We had a new time winner in Echester 33 St. Claude state men's hockey was last a number two seed in St. Paul. In 2010, and was one win away from their first ever Frozen Four berth at that time. I uh, don't forget two line fan trivia. Season one ends April 11th, so only a couple more weeks on that one. But Nick, what isn't ending is the Saint Cloud State men's hockey season, and of course our coverage as always of Saint Cloud hockey. Nick, what have you been up to this week uh, besides sitting very anxiously watching uh, Saint Cloud State Huskies hockey over the past
1: weekend? Homework, work, eat, sleep, repeat. <laughs> That's fair. That's it. Yeah, I, I, I I'm I do it. I'm vanilla as all hell. So, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with grinding and getting it done, right? I mean, uh, well, it, you know, it, it's 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 you know, it, it's the end of the, the end of semester is is coming due. So you you know, working with the television side, especially uh, over these last few weeks, and then you you pile on some, uh, you know, some class you know, stuff that's piling up as well, and. Um, you know, work is, you know, it's a, it's consistent, which is good, but which means that as more stuff piles on, you know, it just, it's, it becomes a lot. So it's, you know, it's, it's a very busy time of year. No, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't have it any other way, especially with how this Huskies team is positioned right now. Um, But, you know, you do wonder where the breath of air, you know, it time to sort of, catch your breath is going to be. Um, but now we do know that, uh, the Huskies, uh, again, uh, have two, hopefully two more games left to play. Um, you know, for sure. Uh, there's no doubt it, despite me not really, you know, I, I guess, expressing it, you know, there's a lot of excitement around with this group, but I think the reason why I know I'm so i guess laid back with this is you know as as we saw this team emerge in the pod and and as we saw this team go through uh january february and then march here um i think we just became more confident in this group and especially with the way they've handled adversity um you know it's one thing to be excited about a really skilled and very good team on paper which i mean let's let's be frank we have to tip our hats to both bu and bc um, both incredibly talented hockey teams. Um, and I believe if I read a stat from ESPN earlier today, Cloud was only the fourth team in NCAA tournament history to beat both BU and BC in the same tournament. Um, that's not an easy gauntlet to get through. And, um, you know, coming from behind in both games, essentially, um, you know, losing somebody, especially in last night's game, um, a senior in Easton to, you know, that's going to, you know, it certainly sparked some conversations we had into uh, uh, the next ten days or so. But at the end of it, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a nerve wracking excitement because it's like you're you're here, you punch your ticket, you just hope that this team can just keep trucking forward. I I know that they can, but you know, I guess it's just the, the Minnesota sports fan in me that just says man just just keep the sink going because you know we don't get to these places very often and you just want these you know this team to go on and just do some great things yeah um a lot
0: of storylines to really follow here number one i uh, like you mentioned uh st cloud state i uh, trailed in both of those hockey games giving up the first goal in both of those games how about this for a stat though nick st cloud outscored their opponents this weekend 10 to 3 combined in those two contests so you want to talk about a response and st cloud we knew they were a good third period team what we didn't know is that they're starting to become a really good second half second period team as well and that's a real good boost for this group i i don't know if we've ever said this before on the show nick i think the starts still could be a little bit better
1: (laughs) yeah i mean oh well and to your point yes and you know unfortunately starts become more important as you keep climbing this ladder right because unfortunately when you i mean just ask nebraska omaha um, you know, I had them as or, an upset pick. Or, or the next night, the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Right. Um, you know, unfortunately, when you get to playoff time, a bad start could cost you your season. And for Nebraska-Oma, I think they, the Gophers scored about, what, two, if not three minutes into that game. And I don't think Nebraska really ever got settled into that hockey game to the type of hockey they really want to play. And uh, the Gophers, you know, they smell blood early, and they absolutely took it to them. And it's unfortunate because I really do think nebraska Omaha had you know they had not gone down so early they could have been a really tough test for the gophers unfortunately for mike Gabinet and his hockey team which i think had an outstanding season uh, down there in in nebraska unfortunately cut too short and it was by unfortunately just a start it looked like the team was rattled a little bit and unfortunately they just weren't able to recover and when you get to this level you know saint cloud showing resilience uh, and and just, you know, going through the adversity and just not letting those moments really rattle them. Um, But unfortunately, you know, with good teams, especially Mankato, who um, yes, they can score, but they can also defend really, really well. Um, You don't want to get behind one, if not two. Well, let me rephrase it. You don't want to get behind two, nothing, especially early um, and because it's just a very difficult team to get through in that structure. I think they defended uh, almost better than they did offensively against the Gophers, as you mentioned, to punch their ticket um, to Pittsburgh along with the Huskies. Um, so starts are going to be ever more important. Um, it just, it's, it's a good way to get confidence in your group. It's a good way to just be relaxed. And the last thing you want to have happen in a, in big game situations. though, I think you and I can attest to this is what is going to carry any team past now the next two hockey games it's going to be who can control their emotions, right? You can't let it get too high. You can't let it get too low. It's going to be who can just ride the wave and be even keeled, right? So um, to me, it's not about the X's and O's at this point. It's about who can manage those emotions. Can they, you know, can they just ride the wave? That's just really what it comes down to in my opinion.
0: You know, it also helps the team get uh, through the next two hockey games successfully, Nick, uh, more goals than the opponent. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how that works. No, but you're what, totally. What, what advanced analytics are are you reading? Because that's that's new on me. I have flashcards. Um, huh? <laughs> so, but I really want to back it up here, Nick. And when I say back it up, I uh, kind of sounds like maybe like a little jam we should be doing on the show, right? But I want to go all the way. You're like, you don't want to see me dance? No. You... Oh, okay. I'm a little offended by that. I'm just kidding. I I love to dance, but boy, doesn't it? Doesn't look pretty. It looks like Bambi on ice, you know, like extra extra hours. Um, but where I want to back up is uh, roughly the tail end of the summer when we had a conversation with Josh Fenton about the question mark of will the NCHC even have a season? have a season we heard of some guy named Seamus Donahue and another guy by the name of Jared Cockrell who apparently were going to be coming in on this team we didn't know if this really good uh finish forward named Vieti Mietnin was going to come in and we didn't know how to pronounce his name at that particular point what is absolutely insane to me Nick is this team with their dark horse mentality and as I phrase this, I don't know how truthful it is, but I'm going with it anyway, because this is our show. But if St. Cloud state scores more than one goal on Thursday against Mankato, they will be the best, most successful hockey team to ever come out of this program since 1929. This will be the best St. Cloud state team to
1: ever be on the ice and wear the cardinal red and black and i now, think that now to to clarify are you talking about it as like as like most goals scored in the season i'm talking about pure success i don't here's the deal
0: if you play 26 games in the season and you score one goal only in each of those games but you win one nothing every single game you are the most successful team in history and i want to point that out for a couple of reasons Nick, I would arguably not rate this team right now in the top five best St. Cloud State teams skill-wise and points-wise in history. Not a chance. I shouldn't say not a chance. They're a good hockey team. Don't get me wrong. But one of the things that I think this group does that is so different from any other group that we have seen, I can't think of a whole lot of times where this group scores on the rush where they're a quick strike skill team, every goal that they scored, especially this past weekend, it's around the net front. It's second chance opportunities. It's guys winning puck battles on the wall. Guys like Nolan Walker, who what an absolutely beautiful move to take that puck to the net. Goals and interference, not a chance. I uh, You know, it. And we'll touch on that a little bit too. But you just look at what playoff hockey is. This gritty, heavy, hard physical style of teams. You know, the last high flying a truly and honestly high-flying game that I think we've seen in the national tournament was probably actually the University of Minnesota in Union game that was 7-4. to four. That's the last game I think of that was well, so skill-based that it really wasn't that physical. You just look at what it takes to win a championship, to get through four games. It takes the ability to play in a building with funny bounces, play in a building with not-so-great ice, and still be able to win foot races, win puck battles, be the stronger, physical, more aggressive team, and pot those second chance opportunities. And no offense to the teams of the past, but they just did not have that gritty sandpaper resilience and the battle tested response to adversity that this group does. And it's just, I know we've had question marks pop up throughout the season. But boy, did it all come together last weekend. David Rennick was strong. Everybody up and down the lineup played arguably their best hockey of the weekend. You know, you had contributions from defensemen. You had forwards who were rewarded for all the hard work and the situational plays that go unnoticed by getting on the score sheet. Your guys like Will Hammer. I just can't say enough about this group. And I want to, as excited as we are, and I know we're still analyzing, what do we expect against the matchup against Mankato? I think it's just somewhat important to, kind of reflect and sit back to think how amazing it is that this group they're a very good hockey team but this group of all groups was the team that finally punched their ticket and i think future huskies teams can take a lesson about how the chemistry in the locker room and the tight bond that this group has exhibited go back to easton Brodzinski's interview uh the night before he broke his leg these guys care about each other and the ability to lay down for the man next to him I think has almost more bearing sometimes than uh, the team skill level that you have and their compete level was phenomenal. And I don't know about you, Nick, but I'm so, so excited uh, for next week in Pittsburgh.
1: Oh, uh, well, obviously I like I said before it's, it's a controlled, excited. Um, I, you you talked about all the right things, Noah, but the one thing that, you know, if I were to rate it, I just think that the willingness, and I think, I think that's the correct word here to get in front of the net and to like you said, engage in those battles. Um, we talked about it before, Spencer Knight, and I think we said it in the two-minute preview. I, I, it might have been me or you, but, uh, well, that would only be two because there's only two people are on it. Um, but we, we said that Spencer Knight, it doesn't matter how good of a goaltender you are, it doesn't matter if you won a gold medal of the World Juniors, if you take away his vision and make the – ice in front of his crease an absolute nightmare um it's going to eventually cash in rewards and i think the huskies did such a good job against bu and against bc uh, in that regards and that's just what these what that's how you win these types of playoff games you mentioned it's winning the battles now at the end of the day i I think you're you're spot on Um, i think the most skilled team i've watched And by three years of covering this hockey squad, uh, you know, from essentially the day, the start of the day, uh, the start of the season, which is media day all the way to when their season ended a couple of years ago, 100%, that was the most skilled team I've ever seen. Uh, But you, like, as you mentioned, you know, skill can only get you so far. It's, you know, it's about how do you, you know, respond in certain situations, how you, you know, don't let, um, you know, I guess the game become bigger than what it is. And I just think too, with, with Brett Larson, this coaching staff, the attention to detail and just keeping things simple, right. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's simple. Like you mentioned off the rush, um, if the opportunity there is, you know, on an odd man break, sure. Uh, but the reality is, you know, especially in the NHL and you're seeing this start to come down through the college ranks is it's about puck possession. It's about time of possession too, right? Noah, it's not about finding that pretty Tic Tac Toe play—it's about working down low and just wearing out defenses. And at the end of it, I I still think, especially in the college level, that one of the things that differentiates the collegiate forwards and what's to say the QMJHL or the OHL was how good forwards play in their own end. And I still think there's a wide gap there. I don't think college uh, level games is that good yet. And I do think that this Husky squad with the addition of Day Shayak, Nick Oliver, and of course Brett Larson. This team defends so well from the Fords back to the D back to David Rennick, that it just makes everybody's life so much easier. Um, Whether it's teams on the rush coming back or whether it's a structural defensive zone, they never get rattled. And uh, to me, I've said it before defense wins championships. And I do think that this squad, if they just repeat the same type of performances Um, I should say the next one against Mankato, they have a shot uh, to punch a ticket that, uh, you know, would really jump. I think a lot of people here in the state of hockey out of their seats.
0: Yeah. Punch a ticket with a a stamping tool that uh, has never been used in St. Cloud state history before. I, the, the one thing that you also kind of mentioned too, is uh, managing emotions and going back to that. I think it's a good transition to this. First of all, When you talk about emotion, my favorite moment of the weekend was after Nolan Walker's goal was allowed, Brett Larson's little fist pump uh, behind the boys on the bench there. I thought that was uh, pretty nice that they caught that on camera. But Brett Larson also plays another hand in this, and it actually goes back to Spencer Knight. And the frustration of the net continually coming off its moorings in that second game. And you saw Brett Larson, you know, that's on me. We'll handle the officiating crew. We'll handle that. Even Keel Boys, we're fine. We're all right. The, you know, the Huskies were starting to press. Uh, and here's what I want to say about this because, funny enough, Nick. Um, Again, not to talk about my playing career, but I actually went through a playoff game in Williston, North Dakota, where the moorings were actually exactly like that, where the ice was soft and the moorings were not deep, and the goaltender was continually kicking the net off on almost every play. Um, So obviously people are pretty upset about, one, the officiating. Yes, there probably should have been a call after number three, maybe even number four there. I mean, they'll never call it. But but here's it. I wouldn't say that they'll never call it, but here's where it goes back to. Everyone says, oh, Spencer Knight, you know, look at him. He totally knows what he's doing, this and that. True. He, he, Hold on. He knows what he's doing, but he doesn't at the same time. I know that sounds weird, but here's what I have. Half of it is on Spencer Knight. Half of it is on the ice crew, because here's the deal. Spencer Knight is not going to change the way that he pushes off from those posts. And you have to remember that that was the first game for Boston College. Now, people say, well, wait a minute. David Rennick never kicked the net off of its moorings. David Rennick has a different push-off style than Spencer Knight does. Spencer Knight likes to really load and bend his leg and push off from there. David Rennick is a more lateral goaltender. He likes to really kind of move out from angles. And Spencer Knight does a really nice job of recovering back into the post and then working out from there. Versus David Rennick is a lot more linear in terms of his movement. And when I say that, Spencer Knight knows that when there's offensive pressure and he gives a hard push off, will it potentially knock the net off during offensive zone play? Yeah, absolutely. So in that right, he definitely knows. He understands the situation that, Hey, he might get lucky and push the net off when the Huskies are starting to press. But with that being said, and I don't blame him, Spencer Knight is not going to change the way he plays in net because of the lack of ability of that ice crew to maintain the ice and moorings, around the crease properly. So can you be on the officiating crew? Yeah, a little bit, but I think that's just one of those things that, again, you go back to prior Huskies teams, maybe that stretch of adversity would have really broke another St. Cloud state team, but this group found a way through that adversity, but I really wanted to address that. The other moment in that game as well, Nick, of course, Nolan Walker driving the net. Uh, I, my favorite goal of the weekend by far. I mean, just, a solo effort, the ability to cut in as tight as he did and really avoid a heck of a lot of that contact with Spencer Knight, tuck the puck in and then I uh, get hit by the defenseman definitely was not an interference call. I don't know how you get a penalty after you score a goal. Just a little bit weird. Did he make contact with the goaltender? Yeah. But I mean, the puck was going in the net at that particular point, but the willingness of the St. Cloud state team to make those types of plays respond in an even keel manner, uh, you know, against that adversity Uh, And you looked at them in both games uh, during the regional tournament. You got smiles on the bench. You got laughs on the bench. You got guys who are relaxed. They're not tense. And this is a group that was trailing after the first goal in both those hockey games. So can't say enough about the St. Cloud State group. But my question for you, Nick, is we saw Mankato play as well and claw their way into a tournament in very decisive fashion. I love Mankato's team. Uh, They're a really, really balanced team. One of the best, if not the best goaltenders in the country and Dryden McKay. I, when it comes to the frozen four, as long as UMass doesn't win, I'm pretty happy. But I tell you what, this Mankato St. Cloud state game, in my personal opinion, will arguably be the most even game
1: uh, potentially of the frozen four. Um, it potentially, <clears throat> when I say potentially is I would think if certain cards roll a certain way, it would easily be number two, because you could see uh, an mm-hmm. all NCHC championship game. Um, if some of those cards roll that way now, <clears throat> uh, at the end of it, it's an intriguing matchup, as you mentioned, uh, making a very balanced, very well coached team with Mike Hastings, uh, who's got some sickle St. state connections. If I don't recall here, Noah, um, a- a- at the end of it, You know, it's weird when you have two teams that are separated by essentially, what, a four-hour drive, if if maybe even three at most, if that, uh, that haven't played each other once uh, in about 14, 15 months because they did face each other in the 2019 Mariucci Classic, and uh, St. Claude stomped, and I mean stomped, them 7-2. to You mean Zach Okabe stomped them? (laughs) But yes, yes. For four. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, and, but the thing is, again, that's last season. Um, you know, you can't really take that much into account with it. Um, you know, both these teams um, are are primed and have the coaching. They have the personnel to be and they've absolutely earned um, every a bit uh, of their position that they're in right now. And uh, it, it's going to be quite the battle. Um between two very, very good hockey clubs. Um, and I, I really like, Noah, when you pointed out, that you know, for Brett Larson about how you manage your team's emotions on the bench. Um, I, I, will t- I will tell you this. I, I disagree with your assessment that now, I agree. Should the referees have called something? Yes. Were they going to call it? No. What they do, do, however, is they go over to Spencer Wright and say, hey, man, um, yeah, I know you're pushing it off, but you got to be a little bit more careful. We're going to have to call something on you. You, you know darn well that the referees are going to go into that and at least have a conversation about it. Now, again, let's talk about this. Spencer Knight is not a 13th overall pick as a goaltender if he's not good at lateral push-offs. That's how good goaltenders, I think. Uh, I, I, one other person I is, is John Gibson. Uh, John Gibson, to me, um, he, he's an incredible lateral. He has a, a, what I call an explosive push-off, right? And that type of push-off, you're using the post as leverage, right? And to your point, absolutely. Part of it is the ice crew. Um, but again, you can't control it. Um, you know, you have to learn to, uh, you know, and I think the Huskies do a good job of this to really, you know, just not worry about what you can't control, control what you can, but don't let the stuff that you can't get in your head. Right. Um, is it frustrating on the surface level? So like, yeah, of course, I can understand that. Uh, but at the end of it, you can't change how the referee is going to see that or call it. And what's us think about this way. Do you think the referees know if the ice is bad? Sure. That's why I don't think they call that all day, 100%. It's not like they're immune to not knowing the ice conditions are bad either, right? And, and let's not forget that that conversation between Spencer Knight and the officiating
0: crew did happen. It happened about yeah. midway through the second period too. So no doubt that he's aware of it. Again, I my question is, if that was David Rennick in the same situation, what, what would Huskies fans say, you know? Well, well,
1: let's put it this way. You know, you you know, I think, what I think what I really like about what we do know is that we're we, yes, we love this team, but we also, you know, we're very objective in our analysis. Like we've come on and we've said, Hey, this person maybe didn't have the greatest night or this player played really well. I'm that's why I really like doing this with you because we're not afraid to say, Hey, it was a tough night. And here's why. And that's fine. Right. Um, I would hope Huskies fans would have understood that, you know, it's kind of like face-offs, right? You know, no, it's like if you're not cheating, you're not trying kind of thing. Um, now, it's not that you're attempting to cheat, right? But you're attempting to just try to get every little inch of a competitive edge, especially when it's one and done, right? Um, for a face-off, man, I was the center when I played. Um, you know, I tried to look at the referee's hand, and the minute I saw something go, I jumped. Did that mean I got thrown on half the time? Yeah, but I didn't care because – I wanted to make sure I got my stick in, in the way I wanted to control the face off uh in each situation, right? So had a, David Rennick and honestly, if David Rennick and Spencer Neary are both doing it, are we even having this conversation? All exactly. oh, we're talking about the crappy ice conditions, right? Yeah. Um so at the end of it, who cares? Because at the end of it, BC's He's going golf BC's yeah. going golfing. I I hate to say it, but they are. Um and potentially some good news for Wild fans is that Matt Bowley has a decision to make. And I do think he is on his way to sign an entry-level deal, not starting this year, but I think starting next season um, uh, with at least, you know, uh, I probably wouldn't think he starts in Iowa. But, uh, you know, he could definitely be a nice injection of some youth uh, in that club. Uh, but let's go back uh, to Huskies hockey here, Noah. Um I guess for me, you know, if there's one thing with this matchup, and I think it's important to break down this matchup with Mankato is um, what, I mean, it sounds cliche, but uh, as far as the most important thing, besides all the intangibles of a plane in a national semifinal game, specifically to Mankato, what do the Huskies have to do to punch a ticket to the national championship game just two days later down in Pittsburgh? Uh, Score the first goal. And I very simple.
0: And the reason I say that is because when St. Cloud State scores the first goal, one, their record is better. But number two, uh, not playing from behind and continuing to have showing that you're engaged early. I think that bodes well for a full 60 minute effort. We saw St. Cloud State, who had a very poor first period against Boston College, who had a very uh, decent period in the first against BU, but kind of a eh, second period ish against BU there. That's not a full 60 minute effort. I still would hesitate to say St. Cloud played a full 60 minutes in either of the games last weekend. Imagine what this team can do if they score 10 goals only showing up for 40 minutes out of the 60 in both games last weekend. Imagine what they can do if they pull it together for a full 60. I think engagement off the puck drop is huge. And when it when you talk about that, um, we only saw it. I, I thought the nerves actually disappear pretty quickly in the BU game because I think St. Cloud State, I uh, really kind of found their groove at least early on and especially at that major power play early on really helped them. Sam Hentges had a lot of good looks. He uh, definitely could have popped a couple. But when you look at St. Cloud, that start, you know, is so imperative because I want to see that engagement where the team they always talk about this in the Stanley cup final, right? Especially game seven, the team that gets to their identity and their game first largely has a chance to win that game. I think St. Cloud, I, again, when they kind of play like the underdog, like they did this past weekend and relax and they're, you know, they're loose on the bench. Uh, You know, I think that when we go back to the Duluth game where they got blasted up at Amsoil Arena, you go to the Western Michigan series where they really struggled up there. You go to uh, uh, Miami where they had a really up and down weekend. I thought you saw guys that were gripping the sticks too tight, trying to make some, uh, quote unquote, ill-advised plays, Uh, you know, but really trying to just force plays a little bit. I think St. Cloud just needs to relax and pop that first goal. I think if they're the first team to score, uh, they're going to be firing all cylinders and uh, we're
1: really going to be rolling uh, hopefully into a national championship game. I agree only because, I mean, you go, you made the comparison to Stanley Cup finals, right? Um, Again, it's just, there's something mentally about getting that first goal and getting that lead right now on the flip side. Let's look at what happened this last weekend. St. Claude gave up the first, two goal, first goal to both these really talented squads, and it didn't seem to phase them. Yeah. Um, and honestly, if you're looking for a bad but good thing, that's what I would really would like to see. Um, it's Again, it's that just go, yeah, it's one. There's plenty of hockey left. It's one, it's one shot, right? Um, how about North Dakota? I mean, North Dakota's done it. They were down two, less than what, a minute and a half to play. You yeah. get a bounce. Hockey's a weird sport, right? Um, and, uh, you know, holy cow to man, what a game that was. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe let's honestly jump into that, Nick, that actually, I think transitions well into our next
0: segment. Uh, we can come back to Husky's hockey for sure and talk about it, but I think it's important to at least slip in uh, our bracket challenge that we had actually, and kind of see how you and I have done in our brackets and see how our fans have done. Uh, so for those who did not know, we had a bracket challenge that had to be submitted before the start of Friday's hockey games in the NCAA regionals. I, so a couple caveats to this, Uh, essentially what the bracket was is you filled out the bracket and wrote the number of goals you expected in the frozen four here. Uh, And we have a lot of fun statistics because you know how much we love stats and analytics on this show. Right? So uh, number one is this, Nick, Uh, when I was going through and I scored the brackets, uh, you got one point for a correct team and you didn't get a point if you got that wrong. So for example, if North Dakota played American international and you picked AIC to win that game, you got no points if you pick North Dakota, you got one point. Simple as that. Um, there's no there's no weighted criteria for getting a regional correct. There's no weighted criteria for you know how good did you do in the frozen four matchups. Because I think relatively, uh, the points all divvy out by how much you get correct anyway. There's only it's not it's not a giant you know basketball bracket, there's only so much that you can you know get correct that there's no sense to weight it so. Uh, So we had 18 participants plus ourselves. We weren't in the contest, but 20 brackets total if you're counting ours. Uh, So here's the fun breakdown of this, Nick. Um, So we had zero people get all four teams correct in the bracket that are going to the frozen four. We have two people that have gotten three teams correct. Uh, And Nick, I'll be honest with you, we have a clear winner actually already as far as the point total is concerned. Uh, we had nine people that got two teams correct. That was pretty common. Six people that got one team correct. And one person, unfortunately, that did
1: not get a single team correct. Uh, They're playing the Vegas odds, I bet. They're just going <laughs> for the upsets. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's which, tough. Which which sometimes can work out. It's just, it's weird how that happens.
0: <laughs> yeah, so um, when you mention goals and you talk about scoring the first goal in the Frozen Four, um, when we asked the question of, how many goals are going to be scored in the frozen face-off. So let me reiterate, the winner of the bracket challenge will get a hat. What listeners do not know is that the person who had the worst bracket is actually going to get a t-shirt, congratulations. And the person who gets the number of goals in the frozen four correct, regardless, will also get a t-shirt as well. So your goal total there actually meant a lot more than uh, we ever told you. But speaking of frozen four goals, Nick, The average for our 18 participants, the average number of goals in the Frozen Four they anticipated was 19. The lowest number given was 13, and the highest number was 26 from our boy Derek Felska. Mm -hmm. Nick, I went back and checked out the average number of goals in the Frozen Four for the past 10 Frozen Fours from 2010 till the last one what do you think the average number of goals scored in the past 10 frozen fours is? So three games, three games,
1: six teams for my guess, four teams kiddo. Well, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Six, six, six matchups. That's anyway, three. <laughs> Dude, can you tell anyway. it's Monday? Anyway, anyway. <laughs> you're right. Holy cow. I'm thinking of six, like, yeah. No, you will at the bracket. Oh my God. I got you. Get, you're good. I'm going to get flack for that for some while. Um, <laughs> uh, my guess with, with three teams, the, the average or three games, good Lord. Um, the average is probably going to be 16.
0: Very, very close. Nick 17 is the correct answer. The average of the last five national championship frozen fours is actually 16 on the nose and the average of the, five before that from 2010 to 2015 was actually uh, 16.8. So um, going back through those past 10 years, um, the most actually occurred in 2014 when Union beat Minnesota for the national championship. The least came in 2018 when Duluth won their second uh, Frozen Four championship. Uh, in the most in that 2014 one, 23 goals were scored in that tournament in the least 13 were scored in 2018 so you can have some variance but uh again the average guess was 19 for our, our group of 18 and the average of the past 10 is 17 so you definitely have a chance i think we have two people that have guessed 16 and uh, two that have guessed 17 and then maybe two that have guessed 18 so some people uh, were fairly fairly close Another fun caveat here. We saw this on two of our brackets. Uh, One was unintentional and the other was um, doubly submitted in another contest besides our own. So at SCSU Huskies fanatic and at John Lentz, both said that um, there would be 70 goals or 68 goals respectively scored throughout the entire tournament. Okay. Um, I I had picked 70 as well. So interesting caveat. We're minus two games this year because of COVID protocol. Nick, how many total goals do you think have been scored through the regionals thus far? Well we've, a, we,
1: well, we've had a couple of uh, of big ones. So let's just play the averages 44. 63. Isn't so the that, averages wasn't good there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Isn't that interesting to know <laughs> that, that in, in most years? And again, it's very variable, but you might be pushing 85 to maybe 90 goals in the entire tournament. Again, it varies throughout every year, but I thought it was kind of interesting to go through. Uh, so, Nick. Uh, do we want to talk about who's got some interesting brackets here or do we want to talk about how you and I have
1: done in the comparison by far to maybe give an example of how the scoring has gone for. uh, uh, I'll just relay this. Um, I'll just recap my bracket. I had Mankato and Saint cloud as my two. I got it. Oh, so you want to tell it for me.
0: Yeah. I actually went back and listened to the podcast um, to see what you actually said. So you couldn't lie to me. I actually put it on USH, US, S, USCHO, too. Well, that's where I'm confused that you said you have Mankato because you don't have Mankato going to the Frozen Four. Oh, I had Bemidji. You, you're right. No, let me go back. I have your I have your thing. I just listened to it. Got anyway. it. Anyway, all right. So, fun fact, Nick, you and I are actually tied in our brackets in point total. Gross. We <laughs> we both have seven. Okay, so going going through both of ours, let's start in Fargo. Okay, I. And another caveat to this that I was going to mention. So for the Minnesota Duluth and Michigan game and the Notre Dame Boston college game, it actually only affected two brackets in which one person picked Notre Dame and one person picked Michigan out of all the brackets we got. And it didn't affect those two brackets enough to really make a difference. So we gave everybody a point if they got the Duluth or uh, BC tally. Correct. So, okay. University of North Dakota, you and I both had that one. Boom. Bingo uh, Duluth. You and I both selected that one. Boom. All right. Here's here's the first one where I earned a leg up. You picked North Dakota to come out of that regional. I picked Duluth. I, did. I picked Duluth. So, uh, boy, could that one have gone either way. Um, okay. Quite literally. Yes, very much so. <laughs> um, moving down into uh, Nebraska, Omaha, and Minnesota. This one was tough for you. You yep. picked you picked Omaha to come out of that regional. I. Um, That's that matchup. No, that regional. It says, oh, really? when I listened back on it, you had Omaha going really? all the way to the Frozen Four. What the which, hell was I drinking that day? Which is tough. Uh, but you did have Mankato coming out of that first game. So there's a point for you on that one. I got one more point through that one just because I had Minnesota coming out of that first game. But we were both wrong on who came out. Uh, none of us picked Mankato. Uh, the next bracket, you grabbed a point there. You picked Midget State in that first game. I had Wisconsin going all the way, so I was off on that one. I, um, But... I think, yeah, you went with, yep, you went with Lake State. I did. Coming out of that one. So that one, I think if you would have had that one, you would have been home free if you would have had UMass coming out of there. Uh, and both of us actually got the regional with St. Cloud correct. Both of us had uh, St. Cloud uh, going all the way and beating BC in that one. So here's the caveat for this one as we go to our frozen four picks here, Nick. If St. Cloud State loses in the first round, we both tie are tied at seven. If St. Cloud State wins, we are both at 8. If St. Cloud wins a national championship, we both get to 9. The kicker is, because I had Duluth making the tournament and going to the championship game, if Duluth wins their first round game, I get the extra point. If Duluth loses the first round game, you and I stay tied. So I would say that's kind of nice. Pretty much comparable brackets uh, as far as we were concerned. So um, as far as the show was concerned, who knows? You could have submitted 10 brackets. I'm not quite sure. But Moving. I don't have that much time on my hands. <laughs> so, I I will mention this Nick because I don't think there's any point in delaying it. Uh we actually have a bracket that is the best bracket that will end up being our winning bracket already. I, uh, like we mentioned we have had only two brackets in which they got three teams correct in the Frozen 4 and our winner will actually be Amanda Robeck at it's Amanda 18. Uh, She currently has Minnesota Duluth, Minnesota State, and St. Cloud State all correct. The only one she missed, she has Wisconsin uh, instead of UMass in there as well. Tinner Heath was the other one that actually had three teams, but unfortunately, his bracket for the Wisconsin grouping was uh, off by a couple more points, so his point total actually can't improve, but how about this? A perfect score is 15 total points for getting all the matchups correct. Uh, if minnesota duluth loses to st cloud state in the championship game she would be at 13 only missing two games total oh, so wow. that's that's actually pretty impressive uh so we need her to take her to the mgm sports book, i think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the worst bracket and a winner of a t-shirt uh, is our friend john lentz six points zero teams unfortunately for that Ouch. one that one's tough uh but you know what's funny i was looking at his bracket i think he had like He had North Dakota, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and BC. Uh, Totally possible. You know what I mean? Besides Wisconsin was the one that was, I think a lot of people were off and that really threw a lot of brackets off. Otherwise, it would have been more interesting. Two more categories to go for you here, Nick. Uh, The oddest bracket actually belongs to Brooks and DK, our boy from KVSC. The reason it is odd is because of this. He only finished with one team correct in the Frozen Four and six points only as compared to Amanda's 10, but he has Mankato winning the frozen four. So theoretically he could be the only person that gets the winner. Correct. Should Mankato go all the way through, but his bracket would not even fit in the top 10 in terms of point. Wow. total. So that's really interesting. And the last one, as we mentioned earlier, the who got screwed the most by scoring bracket. That oh, is Tinner, Tinner Heath. He was the only one that I have three teams, but he's got two less points because of that Wisconsin bracket. I think he had uh Lake Superior state coming out of that one. Uh, and, oh, good. I know
1: that. Me and him, were at least
0: on the same Yeah. It was little Lake little Superior bit. state over yeah. Wisconsin. So he, he really uh, didn't have a good balance on that. Or Blake State over Midji something like that, where it was, it just really uh, did not work out for him. And the remaining part of his bracket is the same as Amanda's bracket. So there's no way. So Amanda Robeck, I hope I'm saying your name, right. Uh, you are going to be winner of a winner, I should say, of uh, Aussie's warming house podcast hat. And if you potentially want to come on the show, you are more than welcome to do so for 10 minutes. Uh, so congratulations to her, unless I did my math wrong, which is possible, but I, I triple checked it this time, Nick. Um, That's good so, to know. <laughs> so, so, so as we continue on with the show here, Nick, I, uh, I guess, going through the regionals, right? North Dakota takes care of American international. I don't think you and I had any surprise on that one, right? No. Uh, Minnesota Duluth gets that bye. unfortunate for Michigan. I still think Duluth would have came out of that hockey game, but I think Michigan would have given them a run for their money. Don't know if it would have changed things the next night. Uh, but five OTs is tired. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Very much. I so. Uh, what did you think of that Minnesota Duluth North Dakota overtime game? I thought that for the first two and a half periods, Duluth was the better team. North Dakota was the better team from there onward, all the way through the fifth overtime. And Duluth, uh, I think, kind of snuck away with one by the end there.
1: I don't think they just snuck away with that at all, honestly. Um, I thought Minnesota Duluth was the better team in that hockey game. Um, and the here's why I say, the entire yeah, game you're saying the entire game. Interesting. Interesting. And here's okay. why I say that. what's, let's, let's compare the North Dakota Fighting Hawks and the 2018-2019 Saint Cloud State Huskies. And here's why I want to say that both teams, at least on paper, probably the most skilled, the most dangerous teams in the NCAA. I think that's a fair comparison, but when we talk about the skill level and just on the different level that they were and not facing adversity that team. And, and again, it, it's hard to really know, right? Because you don't want to say that teams that are that good coast through games and then just turn it on because they can, um, but I, I would almost argue that St. Cloud at times during that um, 18, 19 year run, it almost seems like, you know, they had to battle off from CC a couple of times. Now granted, I'm not taking anything away from CC because of the way they played the game. They, they frustrate a lot of teams. Right. Um, but same thing with North Dakota. They just, it just seemed like, okay, uh, we're okay. You know, we'll beat these guys. And, and granted, yeah, they end up tying at two goals in the final, of like, what, 96 seconds or something like that. Um But over the course of the overtime, I want to actually point out Matt Kierstad, right? Um, And I I forget which overtime, second or third, maybe, where he stepped up to try to lay a big body hit and he took care of the body. But what he missed was there was nobody coming for him. And Duluth had a two-on-one going the other way. And if it weren't for Gabe Bass playing a two-on-one perfectly, Duluth could have ended the game there. So, you know, sometimes when you're like, you start to cheat a little bit, you start to think, okay, I just need a bounce here and there. Um, to me, Duluth was the more composed. The more like, okay, let's not try to force things. Let's not do, you know, take one person out of position. Let's try not to change things, right, or make an impact play per se. Uh, to me, and this is, and I was telling uh, some people around me watching this, I'm like, this is the type of game Duluth excels at. If you can ramble with them, they're never going to break their structure. Scott Sandlin preaches that from up and down their lineup. They're just composed. They, like I said, they just keep it simple. They don't try to force anything. And a team like North Dakota who has skill, right, who they feel like they can just turn it on and flip a switch at any time. Sometimes when one player does that, there you go. At the end of it, now it's one person out of position. Duluth is so good in transition. They nearly capitalized on a couple of times. And to me, Duluth was just a better playoff performer in that game and I think North Dakota got lucky honestly without a bounce they would never have tied that game in regulation they got a really fortunate bounce to the stick of Jordan Kawaguchi uh to get that game to OT I just don't think North Dakota played their best hockey in that championship in that championship game in the regional there I just don't
0: so again and I want to go back to my comment um and I don't want to say blatantly but I I this actually I think is actually a rarity in the show I really disagree with you um and I'll tell you why uh one like I said, I thought Duluth uh, was the better hockey team for the first two and a half, maybe even two and two thirds of that hockey game until North Dakota really started to press late. And of course, they got a couple of pretty lucky bounces, bounces don't get me wrong. Uh, but the reason that I thought North Dakota was the better team through five overtimes, the first overtime was pretty evenly balanced. We see that in OTs where it's you know pretty back and forth right away. I thought that Duluth was a little bit too cute when they came in on their offensive chances, every time North Dakota came down the ice, I was holding my breath. I mean, I was hoping the Bulldogs were going to pull it out, but I was holding my breath going back to North Dakota's structure, right? A lot of second and third chance opportunities in those overtimes. One of the things that I thought North Dakota did really well, they shot from every available angle possible. They were just making goaltenders work and work and work. I didn't really think, like you mentioned, you had Duluth had that two on one. I, I just thought that, you know, especially in overtime is you have goaltenders that start to get fatigued. You have players that start to get fatigued. I just thought Duluth had a really tough time. I uh, transitioning with speed. I thought North Dakota looked like they had the fresher legs, which is odd to me because I, I mean, you look at a lot of the Bulldogs players, they would go in, they would try to win a four check and they wouldn't, and they would get knocked on their keister. And then after that, They were just, you know, they were slow to get up, slow to jump back in the play. And granted, the pace slows down, so you have a chance usually to kind of get back in the play. But I just thought North Dakota really simplified their game. You look at that shot at the end of the third overtime that almost goes in that lands on top of the net. I just thought North Dakota's overtime mentality was a lot better. Now, to your point, which I think you're making, is that Duluth, does a really nice job as far as staying composed and realizing the game's not over until the puck crosses the goal line and to bounce back from scoring in the first overtime and then regrouping as that goal gets disallowed. I I thought mentally Duluth hung in there very, very well. But I just thought North Dakota, um, as the game wore on, I thought it was Duluth's game to lose a little bit there. I think the momentum turned, and I thought North Dakota had the simpler game plan, and I think Duluth snuck away with a prototypical overtime goal, in my personal opinion. And that's all right. I mean, we we disagree with that, but and it doesn't happen where we have really two opposite viewpoints of the game. Um, I guess I was just really intrigued by uh, um, by your perspective, and I appreciate your perspective. Um, anything else to add on that before we move on to the next game? Okay. Okay. Um, Moving into uh, Wisconsin, Bemidji State. I'm really glad you were right about this one. You were right. Bemidji State's structure really carried them through. Um, tough to see them lose to Massachusetts the next night, but I, you got to love Bemidji State's game in that. And I got to say, Massachusetts was maybe the fortuitous uh, team after that one, uh, sneaking away out of that regional, not having to face a team uh, potentially like Wisconsin. Not that Bemidji was a bad hockey team, but you know, you just have a lot of high octane weapons that were on that wisconsin group that if you only can limit them to one game i mean why not right uh and then that lake superior state matchup i expected that one to be a little bit closer than it was i really expected lake superior state to kind of have a way better bounce i obviously uh massachusetts gets out of that one with a four nothing win over bemidji uh a hat trick for umass there um for the one player uh what'd you think of that regional was there anything that really stuck out to you i
1: like i said you called it with the bemidji choice so it definitely uh you were spot on the money there Well, I think what and this was the concern I had with Lake Superior State is, you know, coming out of the WCHA, what really what how battle tested were they and, you know, could they continue to get better? And uh, I kind of went with a sleeper pick. Um, I knew it was kind of a sleeper pick because I mean, UMass has been there. UMass has been there. uh, And honestly, sometimes those teams that ride that emotional high can channel that in the right way. Um, Unfortunately, Lake Superior just wasn't, I think, deep enough. I don't think they were, uh, they didn't execute well in that hockey game. And it's it's unfortunate because when you, uh, when you win the WCHA and sad enough, it's probably the end of a a very storied uh, collegiate uh, conference for the better part of 70 years, Um, you know, to try to get into that, especially when you had some teams playing really well in that conference uh, to get in there, especially Mankato bowing down in the semifinals, um, you know, you, that can really fuel a team and push them to pretty much take the foot on the gas pedal, never look back. Uh, but UMass, again, I just I feel like they were more the more composed team and Lake Superior just never really seemed to find their game in the, in that contest. And it's unfortunate uh, that they are a one and done in that uh, in that respect, but uh, is still you know got to get you tip your hats to a team we don't normally see, you know in this position and uh, no question that you know for LS uh, LSU, I believe yep. um, who will, I believe, join the CCHA um, as of next season along with a few other clubs. Um, I, I think they're going to try to continue to ride that momentum that way and try to see if they can push further next season.
0: Yeah. We were one team away. Uh, if Bemidji would have qualified for having an all Minnesota uh, frozen four. So I uh, kudos to the state of hockey, right? Uh, moving into uh, we'll talk about a couple of Minnesota teams. Let's start with our regional because I don't think we need to spend hardly any time on that one. Uh, BC with the buy on that one. I thought BC was the more dangerous team in the first half of that hockey game and St. Cloud really found their legs. Unfortunately, off of the injury of Easton, Bradzinski, I reached out to him today and uh, wished him the best and, you know, told him this team is not in a frozen four without the effort, uh, especially this weekend that he had. So uh, wishing him the best in his recovery, uh, St. Cloud getting past BU and getting past BC. We kind of touched on that. Uh,
1: no surprise there. Thankfully for Saint Cloud State Huskies fans. Well, um, and just a quick sure, right? Uh, you know, again, I've mentioned before; those are two very, very good hockey teams. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and and mind you, you know when you get to this level too, there's a lot of mutual respect between clubs. Um, you know, it's easy to dunk on North Dakota because, well it's North Dakota fans, but (laughs) at the end of it, I mean, that's a hell of a hockey team. And, you know, and I think what I really liked seeing was it, was it fancy because space call came out of the net? Um, Was it the third overtime or was it the fourth fourth overtime? Um, I knew it was one of the two. Um, And then, you know, just seeing Adam shield, man, you hate, you you hate to see that, you know, sort of that dichotomy of just immense emotion of positively, we win a game on the opposite side, you know, team that had a lot of high hopes. And I think, at the minimum, expected to at least be in the Frozen Four um, to lose to a very uh, to, to to still defending two-time national champions in Minnesota Duluth, a team that you know they they know very well. Um, that was, you know, the the way that those players embraced each other after that hockey game. Uh, the longest game again in NCAA tournament history. I mean, that, that was one hell of a hockey game. And, and you know, again, I, I mentioned on social media that. You know, as much as it sucks for North Dakota fans, that that was a heck of a run. Um, Again, it's it's one goal, right? It's one shot. um, And and at the end of it, that team, it it doesn't take away from the success that they had all season. Uh, And for UMD, their success continues. And, uh, you know, again, it's a new battle that both them and us have to face as we move forward in this uh, national semifinal.
0: Yeah. Moving on to the last uh, Minnesota teams uh, in the NCAA regionals, uh, the Golden Gophers playing Omaha there. The Golden Gophers emptied all of their best hockey on the first night and left all of it at home in the second night. A 7-2 to two drubbing of Omaha on day one and a 4 nothing loss for the Gophers on day two. Two Minnesota State Mankato, who got their first two wins ever in program history at the NCAA tournament level, Uh, coming back from a 3-1 deficit in the last six minutes of that game to tie it up. And then Ryan Sandlin, Scott Sandlin's son, uh, burying the game winner in overtime in that first one and then Minnesota state putting on a clinic. And I don't think Mankato was the better team in that matchup between them and Minnesota, but Minnesota did not get to their game. Mankato popped one fairly early and they dictated the pace. And this Gophers group did not turn on until the third period. You run into a world-class goaltender like Dryden McKay when you're trying to claw your way back in in a two nothing game on the power play. Uh, and from there it was downhill for the golden Gophers and a pretty dismal effort for Bob Moscow's group. i uh, you know, very quickly about this regional, neck before we move to our last topic, uh, what did you see uh, in this regional?
1: Well, no, in this one, you know, I mentioned it before, but with Omaha, they just, they never were able to really establish their game. Um, I, I do think going down early just really rattled that club. Um, and, and unfortunately, Minnesota took it to it. And as you mentioned then, they they left it all out and didn't have at least seemingly anything left in the tank. Um, I thought, you know, Mankato again, uh, Quinnipiac a good, a formidable opponent, but I do think the, the Mavericks uh, were a better team, even on paper. So I don't think there were much surprises there. Um, and then uh, I guess really surprised to me was after the Gophers had the success that they did, they just did not look good at all in, in that championship. They were very, very flat. And it's one of those you know, questions of, you know, you know, it, it's not that at least for me, I, I don't look at it necessarily as well, you know, did they just not because, they had such a wide margin of victory. Did they just think that this next game was going to be easy? I don't think so. I just feel like sometimes, you know, especially when you're playing in these situations where they're especially in a back to back of nights, um, you know, they just there's a teams that can consistently show up and, and have, like you mentioned, almost an underdog mentality there's teams that just for whatever reason, and it could be just that one specific game too, where they just, you know, nothing's coming together for them, um, you know, and just things don't go your way. And I I don't know, really know what it was. Um, but the, the stark contrast in nights between the golfers in the championship versus in that semifinal, uh, you know, does raise some eyebrows maybe a little bit, but nonetheless, um, golfers are at home and st. cloud is uh you know, on its way to pittsburgh in about 9 days yeah um poor about moscow not um <laughs> <laughs>
0: When you, when you mentioned
1: that, though, uh,
0: this Minnesota program, you do have to give Bob Mosco credit, though. They are moving in the right direction. They really yes, are. Yes, they are. Um, and I think they expected, uh, like North Dakota did, to at least, I think, a successful season for them would have been punching one more game through. I think that would have been them exceeding or meeting expectations, at least. Uh, so moving on to the Frozen Four, obviously, you and I are both going to pick St. Cloud State to win it all. We know that. Um, any, any one of these four teams can win a national championship in Pittsburgh in two weeks. Let's just be frank. It's going to be luck of the draw. It's going to be balances. It's going to be who can dictate the play, but who's just going to have it that night. I mean, that, that is what it is, one and dones, right? But I guess the last game I want to ask you, Minnesota, Duluth, or UMass, who makes it to the national championship game?
1: i, I It's hard for me not to pick Duluth. It just isn't. Yep. Um, at the end of it, when you take down the number one overall team in the country, um, and you just, again, Scott Sandlin, um, he's essentially made a name for himself in having his teams be able to rise to the occasion in postseason play that their teams just are very well composed again he's very very well versed in his structure but he knows what it is his players rarely deviate from it um so for me it's very very tough to do that i think you know if umass is going to come over that uh, they're going to have to force umd to change the way that they play and i'm not sure how you do that if you're umass whether it's you know you're just you know just completely bottling up in their defensive zone and making them defend too much um, is it a speed game potentially i think with st. Cla- cloud and their response game well we talked about the best first period they had it was all about speed and skill and getting pucks below their d um but it's going to take again more than 20 minute effort to get past these these bulldogs these guys have been tried and tested uh and again you don't win back-to-back national championships by fluke you just don't get there um so to me you could see and here's and here's the funny part no and this is we haven't talked about this yet if both those teams do end up making it St. Cloud and Duluth, the NCHC conference will be guaranteed a fifth straight national champion, whoever comes out of that. I mean, I don't even know if the WCHA had a run like that ever uh, back in its heyday. So if you're Josh Fenton, you're looking your chops, uh, knowing that uh, effectively that the NCHC teams um, were in opposite sides of the bracket, honestly. So you're, yeah. you know, you have a chance to make it happen. 50%. is um, still yeah. hockey... Yeah, but you still got to play hockey at the end of the day. You still got to earn it.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. The drive for five, as they say. Uh, Moving on to our last topic here on the Huskies Warming House podcast, we are done with collegiate hockey for the day. Uh, And moving into the last topic, which is actually Tim Peel's firing uh, and his comments uh, that kind of came out of that hockey game. Pretty much a hot mic saying that he wanted to call an effing penalty on the Predators, essentially, uh, because he didn't like the play of a certain forward and this and that. Uh, And then they fired him. Uh, for that hot mic i understand why the league did it i understand the fact that tim peel was on his way out anyway kind of makes it a little bit easier for the league to kind of set down that precedent but if you want me to be totally and 100% honest as a former player i think that this idea that the officiating crew this is uh is it a good lesson yes but that the officiating crew you know, they need to change the way that their conduct is. And this is evidence from all fans that, you know, this is the the running diatribe within the games that the officials are rigging the games. That's bullshit, man. And Tim Peel's firing is bullshit. And the reason it is, is because every hockey player knows there's makeup calls in the game of hockey. Every hockey player knows that if you're a player that you're kind of being borderline through the entire period and the other team, you know, is taking penalties and you're on the power play, but you're still kind of buzzing around kind of doing your thing on a little bit on edge there. There are officials that look at that and say, you know what? I kind of wanted him to do something a little bit here. So I could call him because he's kind of been on that borderline where, you know, I think most former players look at that and we're, when they first heard the story before he got fired, we're kind of like, ah, I guess it's kind of comical. He probably shouldn't have said it on the, on the mic, but we all know what happens. We all know that, that it's that it's happening. You just, you know, the, the fear is always that it's not happening at a big extent where you have an official that takes it too, too far. And I don't think at the national hockey level, I don't think that happens. I think of an official... I'm not going to say his name uh, here uh, in the great state of North Dakota, that every time we would go and play in the particular city that he was officiating at, he was a face-off stickler. So you knew that he, he had to be perfect or you were getting kicked out of the draws. He was one of those guys that no matter how nice you were to him, you couldn't approach him. And if you lift up, lip off to him, you were getting dined right away. And part of me is like, as long as an official is consistent as long as you know what you're getting night in and night out, which Tim Peel doesn't stay in the league from 1999 until 2021, if that's not the case, I, I'm okay with officials occasionally having those makeup calls. I don't think for any hockey player it was a real secret knowing that that was a conversation that was being had. Uh, and again, I think I'll say it a third time. I think it's bullshit that the league fired him because I get they're trying to set an example, but this big diatribe that's opened up about officiating in all these sports now, and oh, uh, this is a perfect evidence of you know what's going on. It's just absolutely ridiculous as far as as far as that's concerned. That there is no there is no merit, and I'm sorry, fans, you didn't learn anything new. Even if you're mad at the, sorry, one more thing. Even if you're mad at the NCHC refs, you know, and some of the officiating that's gone on this year, you know, the Western Michigan situation. officials are human and to believe that that stuff doesn't happen that's just part of the game and any person who has played the game or coached the game knows that it's
1: there so before i respond um i want to give out a couple of things i've covered the national hockey league since 2007 i've been a two-year guest on tsn radio 690 in montreal um why i say that is because i know this game a lot i know the inside and outs of this game at the National Hockey League level, it comes to it as simple, Noah, and I'm just going to essentially tweak what you said because I don't – I agree with everything you're saying. Just in a di- I'm just going to shed it in a different light for fans who maybe are not as close to the game and understand it, right? Sure. Tim Peel said what he what, – what said, what said the unsaid. And essentially why – I'm going to prove it with math why this works and why the NHL is a bullshit. Sure. There was no way it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. You know, let, let's, let's be honest with it. Here's what happened. So, yeah, at the end of it, let's go back to the player perspective. Now, let's take the fans' argument. Well, what, let's just call the game as it is. Let's take two teams from this year's NHL season and understand why that doesn't work. Let's take the San Jose Sharks and the Minnesota Wild. Here's why I'm pulling those two teams up. A former Minnesota Wild player by the name of Curtis Gabriel – who is now serving as another suspension mind you when you talk about players that play with the edge, right who play on that borderline when you are calling the game by the book right and he's out running around doing his thing what happens is all of a sudden you have know, san jose starts getting six minor penalties as comparison to minos maybe one or two right so now just what we wanted, officials call the game. Now there's the same conspiracy as, well, how in the hell does San Jose have been called for six penalties in Minnesota? Only two. There's no way that they're calling a fair game. So what do you want, fans? At the end of the day, that's why Tim Peel said the unsaid. It's not that the officials, and I, I think I, I want to I, I tweak his words if I may, because it's not like he was going to call a penalty that wasn't there. I think there's a misconception that people are saying it's a makeup call, meaning he's calling something that actually didn't happen. What is he meant by that is with some of the things that referees, as you mentioned, some referees are, are, are more, you know, tight on say the stick infractions or on the interference stuff. Some referees, when you call a referee, you're supposed to get in the ice. You're supposed to just sort of uh, kind of get a feel for the game, right? Like, and just understand what the temperature is. Because, yeah, you want to call a fair game, right? You don't want to have the six versus two. So maybe there's some hacking and whacking on both sides, and you decide, okay, well, as long as it doesn't go too far, I'll let those things go, right? Now, to Tim Peel's point, and I think what gets overshadowed here, is if a referee maybe makes a questionable call, and this is where this whole conversation starts in Nashville, right? Is, you see it on the replay? He knows. He's human. He knows he goofed up essentially that makeup call is if I see something that maybe I like get away with a slash, if it comes to me, and I see it, then I can call it.
0: Yeah.
1: That is my makeup call. So I want fans to understand this. And you're right. As a former player myself and a person who's covered the NHL makeup calls happen every single night and do not tell me that they don't. Yep. It's either you have a referee that's trying to keep the game, even in terms of minutes, because otherwise, as we just, as I just mentioned, you have this, thought of, okay, this team plays physical. I mean, hell, let's talk about Brad Marchand for a quick second. How many minor penalties have he played? Oh, geez, so there's the least penalized team right now. What's throw throwback Minnesota? Do you really think it's going to be a four and four, uh, you know, penalties to every team? No way in hell. Just, it, it just isn't that way. But now you take numbers and you all of a sudden you have this president that says, wait a minute, the referees have something against Boston. Yeah,
0: and it doesn't, and
1: make, the, and it doesn't make sense. So you want to make your bed and you want to sleep in it? No, it's not how this works. So the way the referees, who are people, who do make mistakes, we see this with baseball and the strike zone and everything else, right? It's sports. It's in every referee's penalty call is a subjective call. There's nothing objective except when the puck was over the glass on an unhit in, in a delay of game penalty. That's pretty much it. And fighting. I don't really think how you can you know, not have a clearer call than that. But at the end of the day, what do you want? And the referees essentially to try to keep themselves from influencing the game. They've called it a certain way for so long. And unfortunately, because Tim Peel had a hot mic and he was caught saying the un, what was supposed to be unsaid, the NHL was put in a position where they had to terminate him. Because again, the league wants you to understand as the fan that this game is being called fair. They don't want the impression that, hey, what is fair? The fair is by the rule book, right? Fair is not a referee who probably was a former player himself, who has spent 20 plus years in the NHL, who knows how to read and react to different games in different temperatures and calls games that he think doesn't necessarily impact one team or another. They, the NHL had to do what they did for a PR move. It's hundred yeah. percent what it is. And granted, should they have done it? I hate to say it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I I can understand where the league is coming from. So when you, when you talk about temperature of the games, actually, we have a very good example and it's actually the longest NCAA game in tournament history. Uh, And and I want to go back to the temperature of the game for a couple of reasons. If you take the beginning of that game, which I'm giving a hypothetical at the beginning of the game, and then I'm going to talk about the overtime periods as the real thing hypothetically, right. uh, Part of the reason you make calls sometimes and decide whether or not you're going to be lenient that night is you take the temperature of the game if you see a bunch of guys with the tons of stick infractions right one stick infraction unless it's blatantly obvious where you're snapping a stick uh eh, guys there's clutch and grab and hacks and whacks all the time look at any time honestly a play, play goes to the half wall the forward tries to chip it out the puck doesn't get over the defenseman and he gives him one more whack across the hands as the defenseman's peeling away most officials kind of let that go because they know it didn't really directly affect the play now if you've got Minnesota Duluth who's sustaining great pressure against North Dakota and Jordan Kawaguchi goes in the corner and gives three hacks and whacks in three consecutive shifts as he's defending in his own zone, that's where the official will say, okay, I'm going to make this call. Even though maybe the third hack and whack was a lot weaker than the first two, I'm trying to set a precedent for this hockey game too. So that's where you go back to, I wanted to call a penalty on Nashville, maybe because Nashville has been doing something that's been borderline all game. And he says, all right, I'm waiting for them to do it again because I want to crack down because I'm not letting it go anymore. If it happens, that's what the point is. Number two is, What is the temperature of the game? A lot of NHL games, especially regular season, they can be kind of dull, but when you go into overtime, uh, there was not a single... rivalry games. Yeah, there was not a single overtime penalty called in the five overtimes in the North Dakota UMD game. Everyone says, oh, there's so many of this, this hack and whack and clutch and grab. None of the plays... I mean, there were a few that were kind of like "Eh," a little bit, but like there was not a single specific play where a guy was on a breakaway or there was a two on one that got stymied because someone hooked a guy or slashed a guy or hauled him down. And for that, the referees put their whistles away and you knew that it was going to be kind of a more gritty clutch and grab type style of game through there. And that's taking the temperature of the game and knowing when to influence your, um, you know, your position as an official and when to let the players play because they both on, un- they both equally match the temperature of the game and understood where the line is going to be at that particular time. Officiating,
1: okay. like you said, is so subjective. And, and to, to round this off, because we've already had a very long show yes. to begin with. Yes. Um, I think what's important is, you know, there is somebody that I saw after Tim P and he, he was an NHL writer and, and I respect him as a writer, but he met, he messaged something about consistency and refereeing. But he made his argument horseshit. I'm sorry to say, but it was. And, the, and his argument was regular season versus playoffs, they call it differently. Yes, they do. Yeah. Why is that? It's the same reason why the referees in Fargo didn't blow a single whistle against UMD or Duluth. The referees don't want to be the one that says, I'm calling a penalty in overtime and have a special teams where the teams are five against four, and that decides the outcome of a game. At the end of the day, the referees—they don't want to be the reason why a, a game is is, is is ended, right? They don't want to give the perception of uh, uh, essentially an advantage or disadvantage, right? So it's inevitable, and that would challenge anybody that has never played the game, and even for me and you, Noah, to be quite frankly, who has never officiated a game at that level, yeah. to really understand what it's like to be in that position, knowing that you got coaches barking at you players barking at you hey i saw this oh i didn't see that and it, how can you right you can't see everything either so it, it's so tough now too because when we watch a broadcast hockey game there's how many cameras there's slow motion and these guys yeah. have six you know especially for the referees they have four eyes <laughs> and you've got 12 players if you include the goaltenders Um, You can call penalties on goaltenders. It's happened before, um, you know, to to see every infraction just doesn't happen. So, again, a lot of it is getting the feel for the game and setting it precedent. As you mentioned, consistency within the game. If you're going to let slashes go, you got to let it go the whole game. Now, again, back to Tim Peel to wrap this up. Makeup call? Okay. It happens. It's going to happen. Was he making something that wasn't there? No. But it was, okay, these guys are playing on edge. I goofed up that call. I need to do my makeup call, but it's going to be where, give me something to call, then I'll call it. Yeah. And unfortunately, again, it's the referee's ability to try to be an even person and not to try to favor one team with another one when he's on the ice. Yeah. And officiating, because I've officiated before, it's, arguably one of
0: the fastest sports and even you can be five feet away from a play and still miss something. I mean, it's difficult. You're got so many things that are processing. Uh, you got to cut the officials a little bit of slack, you know, they're doing their best. And like you said, they don't want to impose their will on the game unless you make it applicable for them to impose their will. Cause you did something stupid or you tripped a guy or whatever it is. So, uh, yeah, I really feel for Tim Peel, but you know, he was on his way out the door anyway. Uh, and I guess we'll have to see where it goes from here as far as officiating is concerned. Uh, but that will do it, like you mentioned, in a very long show, but a very warranted long show. Because how about these St. Cloud State Huskies? Excited to cover them next Sunday in our show before they head off to the national tournament in Pittsburgh. Uh, and we as well, <laughs> yeah, party lights, Nick's got the party lights going on. Uh, we also hopefully will have a healthy scratch interview segment uh, coming up next Tuesday as well, potentially with some players and coaches
1: from the team if we can get it. We'll have to see. Uh, Nick
0: Maxson, what do you got for us?
1: And then just to follow-up for all Huskies House podcast fans: uh, We are still waiting on the NCAA. Um, we did apply for credentials to get out there. Um, I, you know, it's going to be tough, uh, yeah, but I odds- will see.
0: Odds are low. And I think, I think it's fair to say this. They have 38 seats in the press box. COVID has really hampered their ability to get a lot of media up there. And uh, as much as we think we're, you know, cool as all get out, uh, we're pretty low on the priority scale. As far as that's concerned, we'll sure. see what we can do, but nonetheless, we're going to be bringing you the best content from the Huskies warminghouse podcast,
1: you know, And, we will. and uh, we will definitely, I mean, from what we understand, it was it? it could be within the next 24, I would think the latest 48 hours is yeah. when we should have a, a, some type of an answer. If, one of us, both of us, are 0 uh, We'll be going, and I, I will tell you this: um, I have a preemptively booked a flight to Pittsburgh, um, just only because, unfortunately, when you have Duluth, you've got St. Cloud and Mankato that uses one international airport to get out of their yeah. way. Essentially, um, you know the flights. I mean, even after St. Cloud won and before Mankato won, well, guess what? It was Mankato in Minnesota, right? I was on the the team guaranteed to go to the Frozen Four no matter what. Flights were already being booked and prices were doubling within that first hour after St. Close secured that victory. So, uh, some travel tips for Huskies fans. Um, I did post this on Twitter, but uh, if you need additional information, um, here's a couple of quick tips. Uh, number one, uh, I'm a travel buff. So, you have to look at connecting options. The best way to learn where airlines hubs are at. So, for example, Delta, Minneapolis is a hub, but so is LaGuardia, Detroit, Atlanta, and Memphis. Now, what that means is you might have to go to LaGuardia first and then fly to Pittsburgh. I've done it where I wanted to go to Los Angeles. I had to go to Detroit first because they had 18 flights to L.A. that night where Minneapolis had two. Those flights are pretty much all gone, and that's not just um, direct flights, it's also connecting flights. Um, so again, you're gonna have to look at different ways to get there. And I will tell you this, if you are planning on going, those prices are skyrocketing by the minute because the availability is low. Um, the question I get often asked is, um, and, and to go with this, my mother works for Delta Airlines. So I have you know, some insight knowledge to this is, well, why doesn't Delta um, essentially just upgrade the plane size? You got to ima- You have to understand that these flights are booked by their agents, nine to 12 months in advance. Their planes are already accounted for. It's not as easy as a switch as you think. Plus Pittsburgh for being an international airport, for those who have been there, it's not big. It's actually very, very small. And when an airline signs with an airport, you're assigned specific gates. And depending on the gate that you're assigned, they may not be able to handle a larger aircraft. So at the end of the day, I don't expect that to happen. You can't bank on that. So if you can't fly, they're going to have to probably make alternative travel arrangements such as driving or someone else. But I would suggest if you want to go out and support the Huskies as we want to do, and you want to get out there, um, plan ahead because it's going to be a rough go, especially if you want to go through the air. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I have about a 10% chance of actually
0: getting through the Avenue that we talked about. And Nick, you got a little bit better chance than me, but nonetheless, like we mentioned, we'll have it all for you here and definitely be covering hopefully the future national champion St. Cloud state Huskies that will do it for episode number 55, no healthy scratch interview segment this week, catch us on Sunday for episode number 56. And hopefully on Tuesday for the healthy scratch interview segment, before we head out uh, to cover at wherever we are, the games in Pittsburgh on Thursday and hopefully Saturday night, that'll do it from the Huskies warming house podcast. I'm Noah Grant for Nick Maxson, and we will see you next week.
1: Come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Purvix! Yeah. So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. No. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win! seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.